You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your host, Abraham. And I'm Shane. And so today we are going to talk about something selflessly yeah, or selfishly. There's, there's no benefit to us about this topic. None whatsoever. Or is there? So let's jump right into this. Shane, fortunately, did a lot of the, did primarily all the legwork on researching this. So we want to kick us off, Shane? Yeah, I have very strong opinions about this one. So I'm sure it'll... It'll come out as we go through. Perfect. Yeah. So Abraham, I have a question for you. Have you ever donated anything? I have. I've donated lots of old things that I didn't want anymore. I've donated some old board games and clothes and books and stuff like that. And I recently, just in the last couple of years, maybe in the last year actually, have finally this late in life gotten into donating blood and platelets. And interestingly, as we record this, not that this means anything to anybody else out there, but I'm going to be scheduled to donate platelets later today. Oh, nice. So is that altruistic or benevolent? I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. Have you ever volunteered your time? Volunteered. I was forced to do community (laughs) service once. Voluntold. Yeah, I did volunteer for a couple of campaigns, but that almost seems evil in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 some like straight up malfeasance type of stuff. <laughs> but I feel like I have volunteered my time for small amounts of things. How about you? Have you donated or volunteered your time? Oh yeah. Um I have I was also always under the impression that I couldn't donate blood or platelets or anything because I was for like when I was younger, I was told I couldn't because I had tattoos and you had to wait like a year to do it. Same. Now, I guess that's not the case, which is awesome. I definitely volunteered in school. Actually, that's how I got into the field that I'm in is I volunteered with Special Olympics and spent a lot of time with that, Cool. which was awesome and wonderful. But also it was a means to an end at the time because it was as much as I love doing that, it helped me get my scholarship. Nice. So there's some stuff there, right? Another one too is like paying it forward, right? So like buying somebody's coffee Or, you know, just kind of doing some outreach like that. Like I used to do that at Starbucks. I would either like every now and again, just like drop a free coffee on somebody, not literally, but like be like, Hey, here's a free coffee for you. (laughs) Just from the roof. (laughs) Enjoy this. (laughs) And just like throwing, throwing cups of coffee out. Funny story. One time I saw a person, coffee is so valuable. I saw a person get hit by a car in the parking lot and not drop their coffee. Like they were walking and they got hit by a car and they fell to the ground did not spill a drop of their coffee. Well, they have their priorities straight. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They, it was wild. So I gave the person a free coffee for surviving that. So anyway, I guess the thing when we kind of talk about this is why do we do these things? Why do we donate? Why do we volunteer? Why do we do these things for other people when there's no overt benefit to us, right? There's not really anything that we're getting out of it. We're just doing it to quote unquote, be nice. So why do we do these things? And some people will try to explain this away as altruistic behavior or, you know, this idea of altruism, which is we do things for the benefit of others, right? And I think there are also those who argue, and we'll get into this more, but that we don't ever do anything just for other people, that there's always some kind of self-gratification that occurs. So that's kind of like the two, the two sides of this. It's the people that believe that there are there, there is no benefit to the human person or, or self, and so they're going to do things just for the goodness of good. And then other people will say, mm, it's great that you're doing that, and we don't want to say that it's a bad thing, but there's still some benefit to the self. And so that's kind of what we're going to try to unpack here a little bit. So some other questions we want to answer, too, within the, the idea of altruism is, is going to be, what is it and is it helpful? 
And I think that's the thing is like, it's great that we can define this, but is it helpful to really know what this is in, in general? Or is there something more beneficial to know? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point that we always want to start with making sure that we're on the same page about what we're discussing. And so defining our terms seems appropriate. And so one definition that we have here is the principal focus on concern for the happiness of other living things. Yeah, that's pretty simple, right? Just like I'm concerned about somebody else. I'm concerned about their well-being. I'm concerned about what they are like, how they're feeling or what they're going to get out of this whole situation. Now, a primary aspect of that includes the idea that actions are taken regardless of the outcome to the person engaging in the act. So I'm going to engage in this behavior to benefit somebody else simply because I want that person to benefit without any regard to what happens to me, without any regard of benefit. And I think Kurt Vonnegut has a really great quote, being a humanist means engaging in good or something along those lines. Like being a humanist means that I do good things regardless of the promise of benefit or promise of heaven or something like that. Mm. It's a really great kind of perspective. And and that's kind of what altruism is all about, right? Like that's what they kind of say. So, but ultimately what this means is that altruistic acts and altruistic behavior itself is selfless. There's no benefit to the person. Nothing comes to the person that's engaging in the behavior. They're just doing it to do good. They're not motivated by some reward or some promise of a reward or something like that. Now I'm thinking about with my donating platelets thing, they do occasionally try and give me like some kind of ticket like i think i've gotten free tickets to uh, the rib cook off which (laughs) is like cool thanks guys and i think i also got free tickets to like a beer fest and so as a teetotaler i'm like cool thanks guys (laughs) you know me so well it's funny it's funny to think of like you going into donate platelets and it's to benefit some other living thing and then you get (laughs) tickets to go to a barbecue which does not benefit those living things accurate (laughs) (laughs) well my platelets weren't for the animals anyway i suppose (laughs) oh man but now did you run across in your research whether or not there has to be something aversive about the altruistic act so like you do it even though it sucks for you Yes, we do talk about that. Now, there are some times where people will go above and beyond, and we'll kind of touch on this later as we talk about pathological altruism, uh, where it gets to the point where you're engaging in so much good that it actually becomes harmful to you. Like it's benefiting everybody else, but it becomes a detriment to you as the self. Mm, they d- explored that a little bit on The Good Place, that show that I talk about at nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do they? Yeah, so essentially, I don't want to give away too much, but there is a character who is described as essentially being the best person who's ever lived. And really, upon closer inspection, they discover that he's like making himself miserable all the time and having a crappy life just so that he can, I guess, maximize his goodness. So he can continue to be the best person that ever lived. Yeah. And so it kind of starts to look both sad and in ways kind of (laughs) gross. Sort of like, wow, you're you're like really driven by this one thing. And it seems to be it almost turns back on itself and almost becomes selfish in a way. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the arguments that we're going to make here or like kind of dig into a little bit. So for the sake of clarity and just kind of getting into the definition and really kind of understanding what we're talking about. Selflessness refers to the idea that there is no benefit 
for a certain act or for certain acts. So when we talk about selflessness, we're talking about engaging in behavior or doing things that are completely selfless, which means that we are not gaining from engaging in these behaviors. The person engages in some act without promise of reward. As simply put, they do it just to do good. They do it just because out of the goodness of their hearts. That's why people do these things. Right. They're just all about the Nike. Just do it. <laughs> They're, they've gone full Colin Kaepernick on this. <laughs> so, cool. All right. Well, there are definitely a lot of different perspectives on how you might break down some ways of thinking about altruism. And so, one of them I'll begin with here is the social evolution perspective. And this one essentially states that you engage in altruistic activities or altruistic behaviors because it benefits the community and improves your sort of tribes, the tribe that you belong to, their chance of survival within the sort of larger context and setting that you're in. So you do something for the long run for the greater good because it benefits the tribe that you identify with that you're a part of, which might even be like the entire species. But generally, a lot of people are thinking about just their immediate community, which can be any size, you know, it could be the country or the state or the city or the neighborhood or even just the household you're in. Yeah. And I think you see this one cited a lot, this particular perspective cited a lot. It's like one of the primary reasons why people might engage in it. And they, when we start getting into like the idea of evolutionary traits that are related to this, this is kind of where it comes from. This idea that the community benefits as a result of the behavior that you engage in. Like ants. <laughs> like we're that's humans are just, just big clumsy ants really. With worse, with a worse sense of smell and not very strong. <laughs> not, not, we're not very strong either. Yeah, we've got a lot of. It's, it's amazing that humans have made it this far. It kind of is. I mean, it really speaks to the importance of our language and how that contributes to our quote-unquote intelligence. And I think about this a lot, actually, because our species has no natural defensive traits. We have no natural hunting capabilities. We have no anything, really. <laughs> We're very weak, ill-equipped creatures, and yet somehow we've managed to dominate the entire planet and then destroy it. And surely because we can behave with respect to things that aren't there. Yeah. I mean, I just think of it like this. Like you, you mentioned like our, our hunting capabilities. Like our sense of smell sucks, and a lot of us have to wear compressed minerals over our eyes to see better. Yeah. <laughs> and we're slow. We don't have any natural weapons built. Like, we don't have claws we don't have or sharp claws. teeth Our or anything. Our teeth suck. <laughs> like, the uh, one thing I can say is we do have pretty fantastic eyes relative to most other species. Like, we don't have the best eyes on the planet, but we're in, like, we're in the top. We're in the 1% the club in terms of good vision. Go humans. Yeah. So, anyway, so social evolution is one of those, those perspectives they talk about with altruism. There's a benefit to the community. So, it's not a direct benefit to the self, but the self has, like, this residual benefit if the community does well, right? So I'm going to keep framing it back to this idea that altruism doesn't exist Okay, <laughs> by accident. There's also something called reciprocity. And so the idea of reciprocity when we talk about altruism is that if I help others, then there could possibly be a benefit of them reciprocating the help. So you'll see this a lot in communal places where if I put my neck out and I help you, then eventually one day if I need it, hopefully you'll help me. And that's kind of even the idea of like social security in the United States where it's okay, so I'm going to pay into this thing with the idea that hopefully people continue to pay into it so that I'm taken care of in my old age when I retire. So reciprocity speaks to that idea is I'm going to engage in it. I'm doing good now. I'm paying it forward now with the idea or the possibility that it's going to come back to me later. Right. So would you include in this, the sort of pay it forward idea? So sort of, I'm going to stop and help someone on the side of the road, not thinking that that person necessarily is going to help me. But if I sort of put that out in the world that when someone needs help and you stop and help them, 
then next time I need help, someone might stop and help me. Does that, do you feel like that fits into this? I think pay it forward is a little bit different. I think that it does kind of just say like, okay, well, I'm going to buy this person's coffee because, but I feel like it's hard to ignore that idea of like, well, maybe it'll come back to me. We do good. I think people do good for good sake. And it's maybe like the primary motivator, but there's probably this piece where you go back and you're like, okay, well, it's going to come back to me some way. Like if I put good out, like, cause I hear this all the time when people say like, oh, you just put good energy out and it comes back to you. That's the, that's the kind of stuff you receive. And that's very armchair. But anecdotally you hear that and it's like, well, that just means that you're putting that out there because there is a promise of some benefit later, or even like just a, a chance of some benefit later. You're gambling with the idea that there's a benefit later. You know, that really just highlighted for me the doing good for goodness sake, that Christmas song. <laughs> And that they're specifically promoting do good for goodness sake so that Santa will give you presents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sort of, I it just, I just occurred to me how ironic it was that that is even in that song. <laughs> yeah. It's weird, right? Like, I guess my thing would be, and I'll, I'll just as a quick caveat, cause I know I'm getting off topic here, but the, the caveat is like, if it's good, then it can't be bad. Right. Like, which is like a very like noncommittal thing. But like, if you're doing good, even if there is like the want of reward, like you're still doing good and there's still some kind of like benefit that comes out of that. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I'd like to come back to that when we're sort of making our take homes. Yeah. So I think in line with this reciprocity idea is another idea called the, or sort of referred to as resource availability, really suggesting that we engage in altruistic actions because helping another person may lead to access to resources at a later time. And I think that's some, somewhat similar to it might lead to help at another time. This one just says instead of help, it's resources, which can be help, but it's sort of a similar idea. Yeah. And I think all those kind of relate to that idea of social evolution too, where it all ties back to like, if the community benefits, then I'm going to get help. There's resources available for me in the community. It's all there, right? It all ties back to like, I'm going to benefit from this on some level, but I'm going to continue to help because that means that our community is going to thrive and our species will survive. Right. So there are some people that also think that there are, there's some research I should say on the idea of there's, there being some kind of neurological process related to altruism. And what this kind of posits is the idea that there's a subgenual cortex or the septal region, essentially with neurological processes, it's activated and thought to be related to social attachment and bonding. So there are some people that have the perception that, Altruism has to do with bonding in those social attachments, and it does have that biological process. Now, this would suggest that giving, in particular helping and all that, results in pleasurable neurological processes, which I could say from my perspective, I've given, I've donated, and I've felt good about it. You know, like that's felt good. And so what you'll see too, though, and kind of what they've posited here is that individuals with damaged ventromedial prefrontal cortexes actually struggled with making moral decisions like they would struggle with helping others and making those things that are, and we're getting into like this idea of moral and morality, which is a little bit nebulous, but sure, they would struggle with these ideas of moral decisions and helping others. And that kind of suggested that there was a neurological or a biological process related to altruistic decision-making. Got it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm thinking about the fact that how your brain would even interpret something as being a good act requires a lot of semantics. And so, while I understand that we're biological organisms and our brain is critically important, I think the context that allows us to access that as being important is a really interesting feature of how we would determine whether or not we would expect our brain to register that as being semantically important and therefore register it as something to feel that sense of reward. I'm just thinking, again, that 
when we reduce it to something of just saying like, oh, this part of our brain becomes activated, then I, I feel like that doesn't tell me very much. And I think that perhaps we could do better. <laughs> yeah, we lose a little bit of the nuance related to it, right? Like we lose some of the things that go into, you know, because at the end of the day, you've got, if, if things are paired up and you go, I always, I can't help but have that behavioral bent. And it's like, well, like, why is it important to be good to others? Like, why does this feel good? And it's because it's probably paired up with something. But I think that there's, yeah, it doesn't tell us much except we just kind of lean back on that idea of like, oh, it's our brain. And it's like, well, that doesn't tell us literally anything about why it shapes up or where it forms or anything like that. Yeah. And nevertheless, I guess maybe to play my own devil's advocate, but just thinking about that, this idea of the social bonding and, and all of that sort of stuff that it, from an evolutionary perspective, it does make sense to say that we would be biologically sensitive to feeling reward when we help our own species. Yeah. I can understand that perspective. Okay. So as nuanced as that is not, I think that does help me wrap it inside of a context that makes sense to me. I think everything makes a little more sense in the context of evolution to me. Yeah. And actually a lot of the research will kind of point that direction too, which is cool. All right. Let's talk about psychological altruism. Ooh. (laughs) Sounds so fancy. This position posits that there is motivation to increase one's own welfare through help to others. And so in contrast, psychological egoism instead would argue that there is no true altruism because any benefit, even intrinsic benefit, negates the definition of altruism and cancels out the selflessness. And as we've discussed in many of these, there is often a component of reciprocation or reward or return on your investment in help. And what I'm unclear on this position is whether intention is important. Do you do it with the motivation that you'll have that reward or you do it just because you think it's a good thing to do, but then the reward is that it feels good and maybe even get a reward later down the road, but you weren't expecting that, or maybe you weren't even expecting it to feel good, but it does anyway. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that's important inside of this one, but the basic argument just seems to be that altruism can't really exist because anything you do that is supposed to be good or benefit somebody else ultimately benefits you in one capacity or another, even if you don't want it to. Yeah. And that's actually the biggest point of contention when it comes to altruism in general is that you've got this idea that on one hand, selflessness, you can do good for good sake. And there is some, it feels good and all that, but that's still defined as altruism and altruistic types of intention and all that underneath that psychological altruism definition. But then psychological egoism comes in and goes, nah, there's no such thing because there are other benefits, even if it is like just something, just volunteering because it feels good or, or donating platelets just because you want to help people. Even those things under psychological egoism will argue that those things feeling good is a benefit that you receive, which makes it inherently not selflessness. That's the biggest point of contention within the argument of altruism. And I haven't, I didn't really see anything about intention. I didn't see a lot of research or discussion around that. It was more so the outcome or the benefit of the, the actual act itself. Yeah. It does seem to suggest that really what's at play here is nothing can be altruistic in the sense of it being completely selfless because as selfless as you might try and be even feeling proud about the fact that you did the right thing or knowing that you did the right thing. And maybe even if you don't feel proud, but you know that you did the right thing could be enough to be the sort of, again, as you said, that self-reward in a way. Yeah. And that's where the definition is so critical because at at what point in time, what are you defining as benefit? What are you defining as like 
you know, benefiting the organism or the community or anything like that. And that's where it gets hairy because some people will say, here's the complete definition, which includes any sort of feeling good, neurological or biological process. And other people will be like, well, that doesn't really count. We're talking about tangible rewards or it really depends on what your definition of reward and benefit is in this context. Ah, everything is nothing and nothing is everything. <laughs> ah! Oh, welcome to our podcast on existential crises. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a sociological perspective on it, but it is very similar to social evolution. So we don't need to spend too much time on that. It does kind of share some of the same characteristics where altruistic behavior benefits the community as a whole, benefits the species as a whole, and promotes that pro-social behavior. But I think the last point I want to touch on in this area and this subject, as far as these perspectives, is this idea of pathological altruism. This is kind of when help goes wrong, like when helping people goes wrong and like you're doing so much good that it's actually doing you harm and, and impacting your health and your well-being and stuff. And I, I imagine this is a pretty prevalent problem in any helping profession where it's like you are just going out of your way to help people and help people and help people and you're burning yourself out and we could talk all day about self-care but ultimately what you see with pathological altruism is that you're engaging in all this help you're engaging in all these behaviors you're doing all these things and you're willing to help to the point where it becomes a deficit to yourself like you are doing all this stuff and it's actually causing you more harm than good and it actually results in a level of harm to the volunteer like it could be health outcomes it could be financial burdens all these things you go into all this debt just to help people you're sick like it could be all these things but pathological altruism can become a pretty serious problem for some people Whew. that's scary yeah, right? Could you imagine helping so much that like you die from it? The movie Seven Pounds comes to mind. <laughs> yes. Yes. Without spoiling too much about it. I mean, the movie's pretty old now. I think it's 12 or 13 years old. But even still, we have somebody who's willing to literally give everything that they have, literally everything that they have, everything. <laughs> literally everything. <laughs> that sounds to me like this idea of pathological altruism. But then again, there is some benefit to that guy, right? Like there is relief. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> well, that was dour. <laughs> Let's ask the gods what they think about this. In my research on altruism, it brought me to the discussion of religion and spirituality, which I think as part of the human experience is important to note, especially when you're talking about giving and doing good and those being like kind of basic tenets of a lot of major religions. It's worth noting. So as far as like a religious perspective of altruism goes, it's very prominent in Buddhism as a mechanism to promote happiness. The idea within Buddhism, and this is a sweeping generalization. So if the, I, I know there are more specific sects and there are more specific breakdowns and denominations of these different religions. So, but kind of coming across my general research around this, what you see in a lot of like Buddhist types of viewpoints is that you're giving back to the world and living things and, and essentially it serves a purpose to improve one's happiness and support spiritual growth. So I think that I always go back to like this idea of karma and what karma is. And essentially karma is you do good, you are giving back and you are treating the world well and you kind of go into all this. But ultimately what karma is, is like a, like this really cool token economy, <laughs> right? Like if you that, really think about right. it, like you, so you're racking up these these points essentially, and this is, this is how I understood it. So if I'm wrong, please give us feedback and stuff. But how I understood it when I was studying Buddhism and when I spent time as a Zen Buddhist for a little bit was that you rack up points and you rack up good points and you rack up bad points. And you kind of have this score when you pass away. And then that score translates into what you reincarnate into at the end of your life until your spirit becomes so enlightened that you can move past this mortal coil. So life is like a giant arcade 
and <laughs> as you acquire more and more tickets, you can use those tickets to buy something like an upgraded life. Or <laughs> if you don't get very many tickets because you're not doing very good, then you are going to turn into a beetle. Yep, yep. That's my very general and very probably pompous and insensitive understanding of it. And not a beetle as in John Ringo, George, or Paul. Or the fifth one, whoever he was. <laughs> The gunman on the grassy knoll. <laughs> so other religions such as Jainism, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, etc. also have some form of altruism in their basic teachings and often use this idea of sort of be good to others and versions of the golden rule as a way to build the moral of altruism into their guidelines and their doctrines and whatnot. And most everybody is familiar with some version of the golden rule like you there are so many out there and it's amazing to see that uh, you know across the globe and across centuries that people kind of they try to teach this general thing of like be good to others do unto others as they would do unto you like stuff like that you know those phrases and you'll see that translated in a bunch of different ways and interpreted a bunch of different ways and here are a couple it's generally universal teaching but what you'll see in is that it's not that different of an idea so according to ancient greek texts you'll see the quote or the term avoid doing what you would blame others for doing which i think is a pretty good thing like if i'm going to be mad about somebody doing something i'm not going to do that same thing yeah it's kind of the opposite it's like don't do what you don't want other people to not do <laughs> <laughs> right it was interesting there were three appeals there was a what to do a what not to do and an empathic appeal to the golden rule which is like hmm. do good to others so they'll do good to you don't do bad so that people don't do bad to you and do what feels good to you or feels good to others. So they do what feels good to you. It's like, it was like a strange kind of thing like that. Well, it kind of makes sense too. Cause it's sort of like a lot of the things that I prefer others wouldn't. So just saying, treating them how I want to be treated would actually be very considerate, but treating them how in the manner or the general kindness with which I'd like to be treated, which is to say, treat them in a way that I expect they would want to be treated is what would be going on with that empathic one. But if I may quote from the Bible, Quote, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your kinsfolk. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. End quote. Leviticus 19.18. All right. So another one, too, that you'll see in Tobit 4.15 is do to no one what you yourself dislike. So again, like, it's pretty much don't be a jerk. Right. From the off-maligned prophet Tobit. <laughs> Another one, quote, none of you truly believes until he wishes for his brother and what he wishes for himself, end quote. And I'm not entirely sure how to say this. And Nawawi's 45th Hadith, 13 from Islam. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that either, so I don't want to, I don't even want to attempt it. But what I'll say is that the key point here is that the teaching here is consistent with just being good to people. And it's probably great for establishing kind of a moral compass within those contexts to help each other. But is it actually altruistic? Because there seems to be a benefit to the person. You're talking about religious teachings. Within each of those religious teachings or spiritual teachings, there is a promise of reward in the afterlife. So at that point in time, by definition, can you call that altruistic? Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Can we segue into what the scientists and the science says? Yes. So as we were kind of digging into the research, what I wanted to ask is, does altruism exist? Can it exist? And kind of those things that we asked at the, at the top of the episode. Now, as a quick note, as I was doing my research and pulling some articles on this, 
what we found is that a lot of the research was done in the 70s and 80s. There's not a lot of current research on this. There's usually a lot of comments on this, and there seems to be expansions on this. So you'll hear us reference pro-social behavior a lot because that's kind of where it seems to have gone. But there's a lot of talk and a lot of debate around the idea of altruism versus benevolence. And so that's kind of where the research is going to go in the last, like, I would say two, three decades. So are we just a few decades behind the the level of interest in this and no one's going to listen to this episode? <laughs> that's us. You know, we're right on topic with the 80s. <laughs> All right. So from Stitch Doris and Rotor, and this is in 2010, so the more one of the more recent ones, they wrote a chapter in altruism and discussed further understanding from the psychological egoism perspective, as we had described earlier, the one where doing good that always benefits you and so it's not really altruistic and so they describe understanding what ultimate desire means as an end goal for altruistic behavior as well as a desire for the well-being of others so essentially there's no convincing argument that these are really in any way different from one another the sort of psychological altruism versus the egoism further evolutionary theory provides little support on either side of egoistic versus the altruistic debate rather the argument is made that a social psychology accounting of altruism is the most appropriate and work by batson and colleagues has moved this theory forward and you have some of the research from batson to describe here as well so the chapter that we just talked about is from 2010 now i'm gonna a lot of the batson research is from the 80s we've mentioned that before and specifically the article that i want to cite here is batson 1987 that discusses pro-social behavior as both egoistic and altruistic. And this is where it still gets muddy, because like you've got people on one side, you've got people on the other, and then you've got Batson here, like, yeah, it's both. And you're like, oh, okay, all right. So, so essentially what Batson says is that if the goal is to benefit the self, and this is kind of where it gets into intention, if the goal is to benefit the self, then egoism is at play, right? The idea that I'm working to benefit the self, I'm doing this for selfish reasons, not selfless reasons, right? So if the goal is the welfare of others, though, then altruism is the primary player. And so in this scenario, you have to understand what intention is and motivation is to be able to call it either altruistic or egoistic in terms of the type of behavior you're looking at. But the article posits that to assume all pro-social behavior, because we're talking about behavior that benefits others and it's good for the community and good for the person and all that, that all pro-social behavior, if we are looking at it as self-serving, it's cynical which made me realize how cynical I am as a human being. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no, I am. I'm Not only am I skeptical, I'm pretty cynical. Now, what Batson does, though, is he brings up, uh, or they bring up a way to categorize contemporary pseudo-altruistic views into three specific types. So first, you're looking at altruism as a pro-social behavior and not motivation. So altruism is a specific action. It's not something like a theoretical or hypothetical construct, right? So pro-social behavior is behavior, not motivation, pro-social or altruism as pro-social behavior seeks internal rewards. Okay. So if you're looking at it as seeking internal reward, reward, then that's one way to look at it. And the other one is altruism as pro-social behavior to reduce aversive arousal. So in that context, meaning I'm going to engage in this behavior to avoid things I don't like. And maybe specifically things like avoid feeling guilty. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what Batson proposes in 1987. And so from then on, I mean, there's a lot of research on pro-social behavior, but it doesn't really tackle that idea of altruism as specifically. Cool. I mean, that one sounds to me, so that seems like the first time that anyone really has described the idea of that intention or motivation piece in terms of how important that is in determining whether you would call something altruistic or not. In 2005, Bernstein, Bernstein, 
Let's say Bernstein, the Bernstein Bears. Oh yeah, let's. That's, I don't want to. That's that puts me right into the Mandela effect, and I can't do that right now. <laughs> uh, Bernstein in 2005 discusses how altruism and social benefits have genetic links, where altruistic behavior directly serves kin as a result of associative pairing, and non-kin or non-family and altruistic behaviors toward those non-family are described as a division of labor rather than it being altruistic, which is to say that it's sort of I guess sort of sharing responsibility in a way. In this particular bit too, this is because this is another chapter. What they do talk about is this idea that while it's good, it's not necessarily altruistic. It's benevolent. And the idea that you're still helping people and there's still a reward. It's like you're doing no harm, essentially. You're doing no harm and doing good. And that's what they're looking at here. I mean, when you look at like specifically like ethics books and stuff, they talk about this idea of beneficians and non-malfeasions. And that's kind of where this is going. It's beneficians doing good. There's this other one too, uh, Ferguson, Farrell, and Lawrence in 2008, and this is specifically with respect to blood donations and, and why I kind of wanted to talk about this one myself, and found that participants in blood donations responded more readily and were more likely to donate blood when the marketing campaigns and discussions around donating were described as, as you pointed out, that benevolent. And they were less likely to donate when the message around donating was considered altruistic. And... I think for myself, I always think about it in terms of, like what's motivating for me is thinking about they actually get to use this to help somebody else. And so somebody else really benefits from having whenever I donate platelets. And one thing I did want to point out that I was going to mention earlier is it takes like upward of 70 or 80 minutes to donate platelets. And by the time it's done, I am just completely wiped out. I'm just going to pass out and take a nap for a while so i always leave and i do i do feel good about it i'm like hey i really hope that it helps somebody and then i go take a nap <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i always do feel really good about it and the actual experience itself although i think they do a really good job trying to make it as comfortable as possible is just something that's difficult to make very comfortable because you're sucking platelets out of your body <laughs> i remember reading something years ago that talked about how human medicine is barbaric like if you think about it like surgery is incredibly barbaric you're cutting people open you're taking blood and all that and it's like this really it's this really intense thing that's why you gotta just open the chakras and let the chi in so that it can do its work <laughs> by sticking needles in your skin oh man my chakras aren't aligned <laughs> but i mean if you think about that like going back to this this whole idea of beneficians and non-malfeasions and altruism and all this stuff right you said it feels good but there is not a lot of benefit directly to you as the organism to lose blood and lose platelets. Like that's, there's not a lot of health benefit to that. Not that I'm aware of. No. <laughs> Bloodletting was a thing that happened for a while. And people were like, eh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, a, it's one of those things that there's not a lot of benefit to you directly, but it is helping people. And that's, that's that piece where it's like, that's the difference with benevolence versus altruism. Got it. So Racklin and Losey, 2011 actually provided a pretty complex accounting of the mechanisms by which altruistic behavior occurs within a video game setting involving delay discounting. So we're not going to get into delay discounting too much right now because that is a, an entire topic in itself. I can really quickly summarize this as the value of an outcome decreases over time, like the further out it is from when you're able to reach it, which is to say that the longer you have to wait to get something, the less valuable the thing you're waiting for becomes. There you go. I couldn't have said it better myself. 
So essentially in this article, what they do is they propose that there are three specific contingencies by which this type of behavior occurs. So first, behavior is motivated to avoid being considered a freeloader in a social setting. So they don't, you don't want to be that person that's getting like, that's being considered like kind of like you're tacked on, you're lazy, you're just kind of along for the ride and you're getting all the benefits. So there is like a social context there, which goes back to some of those social leanings we talked about before. Another contingency they talk about is players consider the contingencies beyond the current scenario. So they're engaging in behavior that's going to benefit in that moment, but they're also looking at what's happening way after. And that's part of that de delay discounting piece is, is they're looking at like kind of, they're not maximizing their reward right now because there's a potential for a larger reward after they leave that setting. And then the final example they include here is that the behavior balances cost themselves and to others. And so what they reference here is specifically is something called social discounting. And what's happening is they're finding some discrepancy between the good that's happening to themselves or the good they can produce versus the good that's happening to somebody else and the good that they can produce. And they try to counterbalance all of that within that context. Now, what they also say in this is like, those are three very specific contingencies and specific scenarios related to the organism in that context. But all three of them, contribute and they, they actually complement one another. All three of those different scenarios complement one another as part of the constellation of what they describe as altruistic behavior. So that's how they kind of break that out. And that's a very complex way of looking at altruistic behavior instead of getting down to like the immediate contingencies. I really like the phrase constellation of altruistic behavior. I feel like that'd be the a good album name or maybe something to go on a t-shirt or a button or something. Yeah, I'm all about it. Let's do it. So look out listeners for cool buttons coming sweet i want to make like a fake constellation and then have it say something like a constellation of altruistic behavior but i don't know what the constellation should be of hmm. it should be something funny i mean a platelet probably wouldn't look <laughs> it's just it's just a disc it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just a, a circle to say a blood cell would just look like a donut exactly <laughs> so i think that brings us to our conclusions we kind of wrap it up here because there's not a lot to say beyond that I think my question here at the end of all this and my conclusion would be like knowing all this and kind of talking about this, is any of this helpful in understanding or even just kind of is, is any is any of this helpful with altruistic behavior? I think it is helpful to understand what people have said and thought about this topic over time. And I think it's useful to also continue to have discussions around what we mean when we use this term because people use this term and and when we want to promote this idea of that pro-social behavior, we want to promote the idea of doing things for the good of the larger sort of human context, then, yeah, I mean, why not try and discuss that and really have an understanding about what that means? So I don't think that we added anything necessarily to the definition or that we have answered the question of whether or not people are altruistic or why they do altruistic things, but we have at least been able to bring more discussion to this idea. Yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's not, there's just no, there's no real clear agreement. I think there's a lot of debate around this topic in particular still. I think it's one of those questions where it's almost become philosophical or ethical or moral even in that realm. Like when you're kind of conceptualizing all of this, right? The idea is, well, what does this really mean? And to me, it's like, it's great to kind of dig into that and what does it really mean? But I think that the other side is like, as great as that part of it is, I don't think that there's as much utility in having that discussion when it comes down to the idea that like, we're just still, it doesn't really matter where the intention's coming from to me. It's like, if we're doing good, we're doing good. If there's a benefit and helping people and it's helpful, I think that to me is 
the more important outcome. And that's, and that's kind of where this entire discussion was driven for me is like, it's cool to understand it. It's cool to understand where it's coming from and how it's formed and, and what those motivations are. But the more important thing is like, there is a benefit and it's helpful and people are doing good. I completely agree. I think it's worth avoiding talking about altruism almost in the sense that it's bad. If we talk about this idea of egoism, it almost makes it sound like it's bad to say that when you're doing altruistic things, you're just being selfish. That doesn't really help anybody because what that doesn't motivate anyone to want to do those good things, right? And so if just saying every good thing you do is selfish is bad, well, then why would you do those selfless good things or that are supposed to be selfless? And so, uh, yeah, I completely agree that doing good things is good. Like whether or not you benefit from them, it's still good. Like just imagine it this way. Do you have student loans from going to grad school? Yes, I do. Let's imagine someone is like, I'm going to go pay off Shane's student loans, all of them, 100% paid off so that I get a really big tax break this year. Are you going to be upset with that person because they got a tax break? No. <laughs> yeah. You just got cleared of your student loans. <laughs> like, we're not going to complain about this. So, like, the fact that someone benefited from it does not make it a bad thing to have done. Now, if they benefited from it in a way that caused someone else to suffer, well, in that case, we don't necessarily want to push that. But just because you gain something from it is not necessarily a problem. And I actually think that's why there's been this shift in the terminology from instead of calling something altruistic, since we really weren't able to define that as a species, to using a different term that's maybe more parsimonious, as you described, such as prosocial and or prosocial behavior. And another one that I think also really works inside of this, which is benevolence. You know, this is maybe ma- being magnanimous is another term that, that makes more sense. And I like prosocial the most personally, because I think that that doesn't indicate in any way that it has to lack reciprocation. It just indicates that you are doing good things or things that are supposed to be good for other people. And that in and of itself is a perfectly laudable, appropriate thing to do. Yeah, I like it. One of the biggest takeaways too is like, depending on the definition, altruism either exists or it doesn't, right? And you can't say the same thing about pro-social behavior. Pro-social behavior exists. It's defined well. It's clear. Like you can see the action related to it. But like altruism, depending on how you define it, it either exists or it doesn't. Like it's either there or it's not. But I think at the end of the day, just do good. You know, and I think that's kind of what it comes down to for me is like, whether you're doing it for selfish reasons or not, do good. As long as you're not hurting anybody. Darn definitions. Uh, So I will kind of where I want to wrap up the conclusion is with this quote from Kurt Vonnegut. I want to make sure I get it right. Okay. Okay. Go for it. This is directly from him. So he says, I am a humanist, which means in part that I have tried to behave decently without expectations of rewards or punishments after I am dead. Word. I think that's a good place to end. So thank you, Kurt Vonnegut for that. All right. Do you have anything else on altruism? Nope. I think that's where I would wrap it. Perfect. All right. Well, there's nothing else for you to know then, listener, so don't worry about it. Mission accomplished. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't do any independent research at all. You're good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can find out more about this episode by going to our website and looking for this episode at www.wwdpodcast.com. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us directly on any of the social media platforms. As always, rate, review us, and recommend us. And before we go, shall we make some recommendations? Let's do it. All right, perfect. Shane, you can go first. I have recently discovered, and I know I'm late to the game. They're going on to the 10th season, but I recently discovered Hot Ones as a new media thing 
for in my life. Have you watched Hot Ones? I don't. I've never even heard of this. What is this? Okay, so Hot Ones is this show. It's put together by a group called First We Feast. So you can find all their stuff at firstwefeast.com, or you can go on YouTube and find it. So the show is hosted by this interviewer named Sean Evans, and I'd never heard of this guy until this Hot One show came on. But he does these celebrity interviews, and what he does is he does he has these questions. He asks along this progressively hot line of hot wings. And so they will eat hot wings at this Scoville level of like 1,000 or 1,500. And they'll move all the way up through this level to 2 million, which is insane. And so what's really great, though, is he will interview these people. And he's a really great interviewer. He doesn't ask questions like, well, tell us about your new movie. He'll have Nick Offerman on and he'll say, so people think that you are the epitome of manliness. Tell us why you aren't. And tell us what you think of this. Give us your perspective on why this is possibly a problem and all that. And, and the guy's like, everybody that's been on there has been like, who does your research? Like, this is really interesting stuff. So wow. he's had people on there like Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's had Ricky Gervais, who tapped out before he got to the end of the episode. Paul Rudd actually ate <laughs> vegan cauliflower wings on there, too. Is Paul Rudd vegan? I don't know. But his episode was really good. So... Tenacious D was on there too, and they were really fun. So he's <laughs> nice. get, he gets these really big celebrities on there, and he asks these really great, insightful questions. And it's just really interesting to watch just the interview, not even just to watch people in pain from the heat. I recommend anything by Hot Ones. The, the last couple of seasons were really good, but like the Paul Rudd episode is really great. That's a great place to start. Cool. Speaking of Paul Rudd, I'm going to recommend <laughs> the uh, Netflix series Living With Yourself. And I think... I don't want to spoil anything because there's a lot of big reveals in this series, but I think it's billboarded in the trailer that essentially Paul Rudd is living with another version of himself that is basically the same exact person, albeit better in every way. And <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not in every way, but presumably that's the idea is that this person that he's living with that is a version of himself is better in every way. And I'll just leave it at that for now in terms of the plot, but I thought the show was, it was at times funny. It really made me think a lot. I thought that the pacing was really, really good. It just sort of always kept you intrigued and wanting to watch. And I just, I really liked it. I thought it was a fantastic show. So I thought it ended well. I don't know if they're planning to do a second season or not, but I thought the whole thing was just a really well, a well-told story that was felt self-contained and, and I thought worked really well. So that would be my recommendation. Very cool. I've heard it's good. So uh, it's been on my list to check out. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for recording with me. Thank you everyone for listening. And I think that's all we have. This is Abraham. This is Shane. And we are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O., Shane, and Miranda. 
Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brasier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.